dear Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to come to your house today. Have no fear of being punished or uh, anything. We just we are so blessed to be in this country where we can come and worship you, worship you openly and lovingly. Lord, let us all remember what you do for us each and every day, and that you showed how much you love us when you on the cross and we know you're going to come back and get us someday for all of those that believe in you Lord we just ask you to be with Neil he's, he's just brings your word and open our ears and our minds and our hearts out to what he says and he encourages us and Lord help us to take it out this week into the world and share it with someone else in your name we pray amen Okay, as the children leave for Children's Church, let's turn to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to read a chapter that describes a moment in Joseph's life, in his journey of <clears throat> becoming, in his heart and in his ways, like, like God. He bears the image of God, and we see in Joseph the blessings of God, both that he receives from God and that he shares with others. So, hey, Joseph is blessed to be a blessing, and what a blessing he is. So from this, we're going to learn this morning that God blesses both to and through his servants. God blesses to and through his servants. How did God bless Joseph, and how did this blessing upon Joseph's life uh, then become multiplied and graciously given to both the Egyptians and his family. If you've been keeping up week to week, Joseph has gone through the grind. He was sold as a 17-year-old, a favorite of his dad, uh, for 20 shekels of silver into slavery. His life was completely uprooted and disoriented and through the course of time, he's found himself going from a, a slave to a ruler. Okay, so those are very quickly sentences to sum up where we are. So Genesis chapter 42, I'm going to read the whole chapter, which is 38 wonderful verses. Uh, please listen carefully because from these verses, we're going to draw our principles, our points. And I'm not going to be able to highlight in detail all this over and over again or we would we would miss the uh, new member luncheon and we certainly don't want to do that do we new and prospective members and they all said amen preacher we do not Genesis 42 1 alright now last week Joseph's blessing spilled over into the Egyptians and because they had saved up grain and food Man, the Egyptians, though they did not know God and didn't want to have anything to do with God, God, through his servant, blessed those Gentiles. But there's still a family down in Canaan that God hadn't forgotten about. Now, Joseph has tried to forget about them, and they've tried to forget about Joseph, but God's not going to let them off the hook so easily. God doesn't let anyone off the hook, and time is not going to heal. God is going to have to heal uh, the, the, the rupture and, and the, 
the lack of love and grace that's in this family. So Genesis 42, 1. God had made Joseph in 41, 51 forget all his trouble and all his house, his father's household. And in 52, God had made him fruitful in the land of affliction. God isn't done with either Joseph or his family. So that's the background. 42, 1. I promised this earlier, didn't I? Now Jacob saw that there was a grain that there was grain in Egypt. There's food in Egypt. And Jacob says to his sons, Why are you sitting there staring at each other? <laughs> Man, I would have loved to have been there for this particular comment. I mean, I'll be honest, I wanted to just I just wanted to preach this one verse, and, and some of you think, Man, that'd be really nice. Why are you just sitting there staring at each other? And we're starving to death. There's a lot there. So verse 2, so he said, Hey, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. So go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. So then the ten brothers of Joseph, they were sitting around the fire doing nothing. They got up and they went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. You know, last time I sent all these boys out on a mission, one of them didn't come back. Uh, he, he hasn't forgotten. He's not sure what all happened. But he hadn't forgotten the event. So the sons of Israel, without Benjamin, verse 5, came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. That's interesting, because 20 years earlier, Joseph had told them that he had a dream that one day they would bow down before him. Hmm. So verse 7, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them, and he spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, well, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. You sense any irony there? And the crowd's going, Yeah, right. You're honest men. You're, you're, we are servants. We're not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest 
is with our father, that's Benjamin, today. And one, one is no more. Now, if you're still listening, you, re- you recognize that the one that they are saying is Mr. Mr. No More. Mr. No More is the very one that they're talking to. Joseph said to them, it is, it is as I said to you, you, you're spies. And by this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Just a small dose of their own medicine. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. But notice this, then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Their minds go back to 20 years earlier. Yet we would not listen, therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben comes in and he answers and says, Didn't I tell you, don't sin against this boy? And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. Ah, one of the ways Joseph disguised himself is he used an interpreter. So there was an interpreter between them. Verse 24, and he turned away from them and looked. Look at verse 24, and then he wept. Joseph Couldn't contain his emotions any longer, and he just began to weep. There's 20 years of emotion on his his heart at this point. But when he returned to them and he spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and he bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, and thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain, and they departed from there. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, oh no, there's the money. Behold, it's in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been returned. And behold, it's even in my sack, and their hearts sank. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is... What is this that God has done to us? So when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, he he spoke harshly with us, and he, he took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We're honest men. We're not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our fathers. One is Mr. No More. And the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. You know, Dad, we told him the whole story. And the man, the Lord of the land, listen to how they refer to Joseph. 
He said to us, By this I shall know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, that I may know that you're not spies but honest men. And I will give your, I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. And it came about as they were emptying their sacks that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their fathers saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. And their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin and presumably make him no more. He says in verse 36, everything's against me. You ever felt that way? The whole world's against me. My circumstances are against me. What in the world is going on? Everything's against me. But I'll say this, in the bigger picture, God was for him. In all this distress and in all these circumstances and in all this mystery of how are things showing up here and what's going on there, what in the world's happening? God is for for you. God is for you, even in circumstances which seem to be against you. Well, I stopped and preached before I finished. Verse 37. So Reuben spoke to his father, and Reuben said, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Well, thanks, Reuben. <laughs> Your two sons are going to be sacrificed. Anyway, I just thought it was very interesting that Reuben, you know, basically puts his sons there on the altar. But anyway, he says, uh, you can put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care. I'm going to take care of Benjamin. My two sons are on the line, and I'm going to return him to you. But Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey... That you're taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Well, that closes the chapter. Jacob's going to change his mind later in chapter 43. But let's pray and then we'll back up and we'll draw some bigger principles from this. Father, thank you for your word. What a, what a dramatic illustration of many things that we need to know and feel. And you give this to us right in Joseph's life here in the book of Genesis. Help me to preach this. Help us to hear this. Help us to digest and process how this applies to us. There's a reason you have this here. Ultimately, may we see a greater Joseph in the person of Jesus. And the forgiveness and the grace that he bestows on all who would believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I know we're at the kind of midpoint of the sermon, and I've just read the text. So let's see what Pastor Neil through the week. I, I had an advantage in that I was able to study this all week and prepare for now. And some of you may just be now exposed to Genesis chapter 42 and what's going on in the story of Joseph and his brothers. So you may have to go back and, you know, if you need the notes, email me. But go back and read the chapter and see the particular way I draw out these three big points. Now the first point 
is that God will often appoint difficulty and affliction in order to spur us to necessary action. God will often, and, and, and there are tons of verses that we could line up under this point from the rest of the Bible to prove this, but they illustrate this. God will often appoint difficulty and affliction in order to spur you to necessary action. Or, if you want to quote from Walt Disney, sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you is a good kick in the teeth. <laughs> Not a good graphic image there, is it? But the principle is true. Now, down in Canaan, separated from Egypt, is this family that we've already seen. They've got major problems. They are dysfunctional. They are guilty. They are in need of reconciliation and peace with God and one another. So as God over 20 years has done all this in the life of Joseph, there's Jacob and his sons and they're sitting there. And they've had plenty. <laughs> but now where are they? Now they're starving. And they're sitting there looking at one another just twiddling their thumbs. And what does dad say? We are hungry here. You go down to Egypt and buy us something to eat. Now we know in the bigger picture, God has wonderful providential reasons for making them hungry. Remember, we've looked. Who caused the famine? God caused the famine. Who caused the seven years of plenty? God caused the seven years of plenty. We could back up and ask, who causes everything? God causes everything. Either he's sovereign in God or he's not. So we are to see everything is coming from God. And I know this doesn't answer all of our questions. And there's, there's a lot that we could point to and say, well, what about this? That, that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the fact that God appointed a difficulty in the life of Jacob and his sons to send them to Egypt because they needed more than just food. They needed more than just a meal. They needed a ministry of grace that in the bigger picture of things would, would spur them to actions that none of us by nature want to engage in. Things like prayer and repentance and brokenness and forgiveness, and humility. Oftentimes, we're cruising right along in life, and it's me and mine, and things are going well, and we are yet to discover that underneath us is this guilty, depraved, fallen sinner who is completely in need of God's grace, both vertically and horizontally. So God, through this physical crisis that they truly see and feel in their, their hunger pains. He shakes them from their apathy and complacency. Life or death is, is, is at hand. And one thing is for sure, they cannot stay as they are. One thing is for sure, God will not leave you as you are. And that is the best thing that he could ever possibly do for you or me or any of us. Because left to ourselves, 
left to ourselves on our own without any affliction or any difficulty ever to spur us to go to him for salvation or sanctification, we would surely die. So the physical crisis they see and feel, but the, the spiritual crisis they and we are very slow to accept. The spiritual crisis that we see objectively looking into the story, and they are very, very slow to accept. Let me say this, crisis often exposes our true condition. They are allowed to experience a physical and emotional pain, which is really an indicator of their true spiritual condition. I, I can't stay with this very long. But my whole point is that God will often appoint difficulty and, and affliction to, to drive us to necessary spiritual actions. God does this in a physical way to, to save them physically. But what they can't see is that on a greater level and a bigger level, God is doing spiritual things in their lives, in Joseph's lives, in Joseph's life, and in the broader context the broader context of, of Scripture. We'll get to that in just a moment. I'll just leave you with one verse from somewhere else that ties this all together, and then I'll move on to big point number two. There's a beautiful verse in the Psalms that says this. This is true of me, it's true of you. Whether we want to own it and admit it or not, this is God's Word speaking truth into your life. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. God, you are good, and you do good. You are good, God, and you do good. And sometimes it takes affliction to show me that I have wandered from you and your path, which is the only path of salvation and reality. Point number two. God calls us to exercise wisdom when responding to those who have wronged us. God calls us to exercise wisdom when responding to those who have wronged us. How Joseph responds to people, especially people, these happen to be within his family, who have wronged him, is an illustration of the wisdom of God and the heart of God. We could spend the rest of this story, and I mean chapters 42 through 50, with a case study in Joseph showing us how to respond to people who've hurt us. Let's be real. We feel like we've got opportunity daily to exercise how do you deal with people who hurt me. From how do you deal with a person who cuts you off and gives you the universal illustration of I don't like you. We've talked about that before. How do you respond to them? Or how do you respond to people who for 20 years they've been living a lie? What do you do? That's the case that Joseph's in. Man, I want you to see his patience. His patience. He recognizes them. They don't have a clue as to who he is. So he disguised himself 
He isn't rash or impulsive, but he does speak harshly. But, but you know, I thought of Johnny Cash's, Johnny Cash's great song, Boy Named Sue. He finally sees the dad who named him Sue. And he says, my name is Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. <laughs> That's how most of us, if we finally saw them, immediately the impulse will be to take them out. Joseph's more like, you ever been in the grocery store and you see somebody that you're not really on great terms with and you see them at the end of the aisle? <laughs> you're like, uh-oh, I don't know that I'm ready to, t- I'm not ready to talk to them right now. And so what do you do? You pull your cart and you go over into the corner where the, you know, where the milk section is. You buy you some time. You hope they may go out of the store before you get back to them. But you buy yourself some time so that when you do run into them later in the store, your heart will be more prepared. Joseph's caught off guard. In fact, he said, God, I've forgotten about those people. At least he was trying to forget. But what you'll see is he's, he's patient. He's not perfect in how he deals with this, but, but he is patient. The second thing, he's honest. He speaks the truth in love. Now, now, he spoke to them harshly. But I can show you some places in the scriptures where Jesus spoke to people harshly as well. And it was for their ultimate good, and it came from a perfect heart. He spoke to them harshly, but it wasn't nearly what they deserved. Joseph is a human being. And when you hurt human beings, you better be ready for a human response, right? How did you expect that they would take it? What did you think they would say? He's in process of being able. Listen, he's in process, and that's what I've got to point out to us. He is in process of being able later to express firmly and confidently the forgiveness that God is going to grant through him. He's patient. He's honest. He's also got a great perspective, and that is this. God is in this. I know this is difficult. I know this has caught me off guard. But what does he remember that ties it all together from a godly perspective? Ah, that's what the dream was about 20 years ago that got me in so much trouble. I've been interpreting everybody else's stuff. And I've been interpreting everybody else's dreams. And Pharaoh comes to me, and the baker comes to me, and the cupbearer comes to me. And I'm good at interpreting them and their dreams. Oh no, now you're calling me to interpret what you're doing in my life. If you've ever gone through anything like that, that's a much deeper level. Oh, we're great at diagnosing other people. But now Joseph is faced with diagnosing who? Himself. And what God had revealed to him years earlier. God, you are preparing me in advance for this moment. And now, God, I know that this doesn't feel good. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a process. But, God, I know in the bigger picture you are 
in this. You think that makes a difference? Absolutely it makes a difference. He now knows he's God's instrument. He's God's servant. That seven years of famine and that seven years of feasting wasn't just about him and Egypt. It was about him and his family. When he was 17 years old, he said in an arrogant, hotshot way, one day you guys are going to kneel before me. It made them angry. It made them jealous. Out of that, they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. And now he finally, in retrospect, understands what God meant in that moment. You ever look back 20, 30 years later, back back to some moment in your past, and you said to yourself, Aha, now I know. Not everything, but I know more about what you were preparing me for as you took me through that. His perspective is that God is in it. But let's remember that his heart is a heart of love. Do you have any evidence in this text that I read that he genuinely still loves his family? Is it in there? Where was it? Anybody? He wept, absolutely. He wept. Couldn't take it anymore. I think it's very revealing to us as we see this unfold. It makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. Hey, you can talk harshly to me. If I know you love me, if I know you really care, man, I've had coaches, (laughs) oh boy, we can talk about coaches, really coach you up and be firm and hard. But if you know they've got your good in mind, man, doesn't that make a difference? Again, Joseph spoke harshly to them, but he could not hide his heart long, could he? He weeps. Later in Scripture, we know someone else who wept, right? Just hold that thought. Here's my point. I had a great illustration from Corey Ten Boone. I'm, not, I'm going to scrap that. Just leave you hanging with that one. That'll be the hook for next week <laughs> or in a couple of weeks. Great illustration. Let's look at number three. This is what you see worked out in the rest of the chapter. God must bring us to an awareness of the weight of our sin in order for us to be grateful for the grace of forgiveness. I'll say it again. This is true throughout Scripture. God's got to bring you to an awareness of your sin and how how awful it is in order for you to later be grateful and worshipful and joyful and appreciative of the grace that he gives you. Joseph engages in a bit of cat and mouse. A little bit of deception and irony. I mean, why didn't he just right up front just tell them who he is and forgive them? And I mean... Because God doesn't use it that way. God doesn't work that way. In this passage, 
he draws out and highlights the guilt and shame that these brothers feel, and let's be honest, they need to feel about their sin. He gives them space and time to process and repent later in a deeper way. I tried to emphasize the irony of some of their statements. Oh, we're honest men. Joseph's thinking, no, you're not. We have one brother who is no more. And Joseph's thinking, no, he's not. They had lived a life for 20 years. And Joseph was alive and well and staring them in the face. They had tried to forget. Joseph had tried to forget. Yet God, listen, God took their sin very seriously and he did not forget. He's holy. But he's also extremely merciful. So he allows them to process the weight of their sin. And they say to themselves, why is all this going on? This distress, we're guilty. What are we guilty of? Mistreating Joseph 20 years earlier. That's why we're in this distress now. And we're in this prison. And this guy's talking hard. What's going on here? Again, there's a bit of mystery here for them as to why all this is happening. But then they make this statement. Now we are reckoning for his blood. Their conscience and their guilt haunts them and torments them. But God brings them to Egypt to do what? To set them free. So that they can receive the grace of forgiveness. The freedom of mercy. The joy of reconciliation with their brother. And restoration with God. In you, listen, in union with Joseph. In union with Joseph. They, like Joseph, are also going to be privileged in the kingdom. They are going to go from starving around the fire with dad saying, you guys go do something, to ruling and reigning with Joseph. God brought them to repentance and awareness of guilt to heighten the joy and the drama at the end of the story. Go over to Mount Chihaw. I love hiking over there. They've got a great, several great trails, but there's one trail in particular. Some of you have been over there. You can start at the lake at the bottom of the mountain and go one mile almost straight up. Gorgeous rock outcroppings, but it's a difficult one-mile hike. Hey, you can also take the car to the top of the mountain. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they got it where you can pull up there and you can walk out there from your car and you can see the view and it's nice and it's beautiful. But man, let's be real. That view is not nearly as precious or appreciated or rejoiced over than those who pull up in the car like those who do what? Who make the struggle to climb up there. See, I suspect that one of the reasons that we aren't more worshipful and more joyful and more gracious and more merciful is that I really think that some of us haven't yet seen the weight of our own guilt before God and how he truly has bestowed upon us new life and freedom from where we were. 
I'm in the same boat. John Mark was talking about it last week. Sometimes we, we, we're not as compassionate as we ought to be with the people who need compassion. And what we fail to do in those moments is that we fail to, to comprehend the depth of our debt before Almighty God and how wonderful He's been to us. So let's back up and I'm going to close with this. You could trace the trajectory of their feelings about Joseph something like this. We had a brother. We hated our brother. But now we need our brother. That's exactly what happened. They had a brother and they hated him. They don't know it yet, but they, they what? They desperately need, they need their brother, don't they? They don't see it all yet. God's not going to, uh, he's going to give them the process and, and dramatize. But, but I have heard sermons and I've shared with you, you know, think about Jesus. His brothers had a brother. <laughs> And they hated their brother. But later on, they recognized after the resurrection, what? Well, we need, we need our brother. Our trajectory in relationship to Jesus is much the same. Straight from Psalm 1. We have a king. We hate the king. Oh, we need the king. We need the king. We need Jesus. God will often, and in fact he must, bring us to an awareness of the weight of our sin in order for us to be grateful for the grace of forgiveness. God intervened graciously and provided salvation, listen, to people who did not deserve the abundance they were given. They did not deserve the abundance they were given. Have you, have you ever reflected on the distressing moments of life and wondered to yourself about your own guilt and what that guilt deserves? Our lack of gratitude, our lack of humility, our lack of joy, as well as our, our lack of forgiveness and grace toward others is an indicator that we have lost sight of the magnitude of our guilt and debt before God. We're enemies of God deserving wrath. But he has given a great sacrifice himself on our behalf so that we might be forgiven and reconciled. Catherine sang my favorite song earlier. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Help us to see in Joseph's story much of our own story, uh, how guilty we are, how we by nature do not love God. We do not want God to be God. We want ourselves to be God. Thank you, Father, for saving us from that lie and being gracious and merciful and providing salvation through one better than Joseph who descended lower than Joseph and became a, a slave, a curse on our behalf so that we might 
be forgiven and truly set free. Thank you for the larger picture where you took your people through these circumstances into Egypt. They went through a harsher and more difficult slavery as a people, but you redeemed them from that. Later we see about Jesus. Out of Egypt I've called my son. Father, this is so much bigger than us. It's all about Christ and his work on our behalf. How grateful we must be and should be for your amazing love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing. It is well with my soul.
For the fact that you have a big, grand plan, even when we can't see it because we're, we're here in the small parts of life and we don't get to see everything that you're planning, um, I'm just thankful that you are the master planner and that you have everything worked out from time way, way back. Um, so thank you so much for, for the message this morning, and I just ask that you please keep it on our hearts as we go throughout the week and the rest of the day. In your name we pray. Amen.
We're all invited to Jeff's living room. <laughs> I want to thank Ryan, my brother-in-law, and Jeff's my uncle. So, <laughs> Uncle Jeff, we love you. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, leading uh, our offertory. Jeff's going to come now and pray, I think, unless he's forgotten. Because <laughs> we got one more thing to do. I I'd like to ask Terry and James. Y'all come on up here, guys. Um, these two guys are going on mission in the morning, pretty early, to Nicaragua. And uh, James, you want to say a word about what y'all are going to do there? What we're going to do now, Jeff's going to lead us in a prayer of commissioning them. We need to pray for their safety, that God would bless them and bless through them. Uh, Ronnie's doing a great work there, and they're going to support that. You share, and Jeff, then you close us in prayer. Thank you. Yes, we're going to leave in the morning at... Um we fly out at quarter seven, so remember us in the morning as we get up and get there early to the airport. But, uh, yeah, we're going to go get with Ronnie and go um, upriver on the River Bouquet to uh, the, the clinic there, and that's where we'll base out of. And uh, Ronnie has some shoeboxes like her uh, given at Christmas time. They, the kids are just now getting back into school. They had their little vacation different from ours. But we're going to be able to take those boxes and also shoes to the little village where uh, we've built a school and provided them with uh, water there. And, uh, and we're going to be working with a youth leadership group and also some marriage counseling and building some shelves for the school that's um, a lot to be done in three or four days but we'll do what we can and we appreciate all your support people have um, donated uh, money for shoes and we appreciate your prayers thanks yeah we've we've collected a total of uh, twelve hundred dollars for shoes so that's uh, that's great thank you very much